Man, is it that time already? Kick it! Whoa, it's the Greg Carrasso Show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this light go? Whoa, yeah. Celebrity guests from the East Coast to the West. Who knows who he has next? At Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn. He's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a Dow stock. Movie talk on a boardwalk. Shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. The show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Greg Carrasco. Slacker Nation. We are back. Here is where we congregate every Saturday morning and, uh, you need to let your brain just absorb. We're going to talk about whatever you want to talk about. You know, often I have a bit of an outline of what I think the topic should be, but most of the time, you are the one that sets the pace. If you've never listened to us, you are listening to The Greg Carrasco Show here with my buddy Ken Staple on TSN 1050. This is the largest automotive radio show in Canada that's not about cars. Cars is my areas of studies. I know about the car industry inside out. I've been in it for 25, 27 years almost now. And if you ask me a question about a car, buying a car, selling a car, leasing a car, trading a car, squashing a car, I will talk to you. I will give you the straight goods. If you want to talk to me in person, I live at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, home of the no commission salespeople. If you're paying commission on your car purchase right now, you're just nuts. Why are you doing it? Most cars today are good cars. Most car manufacturers make good cars. It's all about your feelings. Your feelings. And guess what? I don't care about your feelings. I'm just going to give you the straight goods when it comes to buying a car. And about everything else, I just give you my opinion. You may not like it, but make sure that you come well-equipped with some arguments. What do you think about that, Ken? Sounds like me every Saturday morning. <laughs> Wake up, don't care about my feelings, make sure I'm trying to be equipped with some arguments here. You know, it's uh, the whole nine into uh, just over a month now of doing the show here on TSN 1050 with you, Greg. And... I know you had a big week, uh, some news, some exciting news for the listeners if you they don't follow you on the social media platforms. <laughs> dude, 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 my life has changed. Um, I have a new baby in the house. His name, uh, well, his, his official name is Marcus Maximus Decimus Meridius Aurelius Carrasco, Stoic Father, protector or defender and commander of the legions of the north and defender of the Carrasco realm. Do not be fooled by his stature. He's ferocious, absolutely ferocious. So his friends call him Marcus. Uh, I finally um, got my hands on, on a little puppy, uh, Ken, and uh, it was love at first 
sight. Uh, unfortunately, I despised the means that I had to use to acquire this pet. And I can tell you that uh, there, is, there is physical evidence that I did everything right. I went through every possible available channel. I did everything that a responsible pet owner and potential pet adopter should have done. Unfortunately, unfortunately, um, rescue organizations, they make it virtually impossible for you to adopt a puppy these days. It's like a lottery. It's a competition. Um, you know, breeders are, you know, overwhelmed. There is a lot of um, shortage of puppies, especially with people uh, working from home these days. And uh, there was a shortage of puppies. And I, I resorted to a different means. And, uh, you know, the reality is this, man, that... Um, if there is a there is a dog out there, if there is a puppy out there, it doesn't matter where it came from. Eventually, somebody is going to own this animal. Would you agree with that, Ken? Yeah, one way by hook or by crook, people will get a dog by whatever means they see necessary. Uh, I've always supported adopting over obviously going to a breeder, but sometimes that's not possible to go through the channels, especially if you're looking for a specific breed. I think in your case, you were able to meet in the middle and find an animal that you were looking at, like a specific breed. Uh, what, what was it, a Yorkie? Uh, it's, a, it's a Yorkie uh, Maltese cross. Uh, the I don't like calling them Morkie because it sounds awful. <laughs> but it's a, it's a Yorkie Maltese cross. I love Yorkies. Malteses are absolutely stunningly beautiful. And, it's so uh, cute, Greg. If you guys Dude. haven't seen it, head over to Greg's Instagram page <laughs> at Greg Carrasco and take a look. I was, oh man, it's unbelievably cute. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he's smaller than a venti cup from Starbucks. Uh, he, uh, when I picked him up, he was just over a pound, and uh, I think full-grown um, Yorkie Maltese cross. They don't go any more than four or five pounds, so he's gonna be a little guy, and I love it. That was the whole point of me getting it. But uh, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, folks. The uh, I'm not proud of the way that uh, that I acquired uh, little Marcus, but I am super, super, super happy that this little guy is with me now because I am his goddamn guard dog. You know what I'm saying? You know that uh, he's part of the family. He is. Um, I I have fought the the desire of committing myself to something so enormous because I know how vulnerable I feel towards dogs and. Uh, um, you know, even though I have owned a pile of them, most of them have been rescued or stray dogs that I that I have owned. So this is the first time that I actually buy a puppy. First time in my entire life. So this puppy life is um is certainly been a bit of a uh, <laughs> a new reality. Like last night, he he woke up quite a bit. So I I've been up most of the night, and you know this is the price you pay. They're like a baby. Yeah. So you, you know go, what I'm talking you got about. A kid right? in the house. Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. We've uh, the puppies have been a popular point of discussion on this show since we got back on the air, and mm -hmm. I actually just recently adopted as well. Probably it's probably actually back in April or May, beginning of May. Yeah. Um, my puppy is just six months old. She's a pot cake, so just a mixed breed from the Bahamas. The most loving animal in the world. But I feel you when you get that dog into your house, and you know she's only three months old. It's like there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some accidents. There's going to be some late nights where they're a little bit restless. And it's just part of the territory. But for the love and affection that they bring into your home, it's well worth everything. The loss of sleep, it's well worth 
the extra mop jobs that you have to do a couple times a day because they're the most loving companions in the world. Oh, dude, man, I, uh, I I don't know about your experience, but, you know, Marcus is a genius. You know, I'm going to be the obnoxious new parent. <laughs> Everybody, dude, guess what? <laughs> yeah, everybody's dog, especially when they get it, is better than any other dog they've ever met in their life. And I'll stand by this. Uh, what what I can tell you is that, uh, you know, he's only been with me for three and a half days and, uh, you know, we're working on things. He has had very, very, very few accidents in the house. We're working on uh, his potty training already and, uh, you know, we're working on other things and some, some commands and uh, I have... I'm learning how to train my own dog and uh, I have taken this really, really seriously because I, you know, I really want to make this an awesome experience for him for as long as he is with me and uh, for myself because it was a big commitment, man. I don't, you know, I can tell you this, going to therapy, <laughs> it changes you. I think that every man, every person on the planet at some point, you should take a, you know, you should take a, you know, a dive into, into your own brain and uh, understand yourself and take an introspective look at your own life. And you will be amazed at what you will find. Um, I, I am certainly a different person than when I first started going to see my therapist, and he is amazing. I mean, I, I just go there and talk. He doesn't even give me advice, Ken. I don't even know how is this possible. I don't know what I get out of it, but I can tell you this. Talking about it is making me a better person already, and I have serious attachment issues. So the, the even the idea of being attached to a dog, it was something that was enough to paralyze me. And I've been thinking about it for some time, and I decided to just do it. So this is the beginning of something different, and I'm super happy about it. I'm, I'm super, super happy about it. Uh, if you want to see pictures of Marcus, uh, go and see it at uh, on my Instagram account, uh, at Greg Carrasco. He is there. Leave a comment. He is absolutely standing. He's, he's one of the most handsome creatures that you'll ever meet. And uh, um, I wanted to support my local um, rescued and uh, humane societies. I, I did. I tried. I called a bunch of them. I uh, submitted applications. And uh, I do understand the work they do. In fact, my last uh, three cats and my last dog, they were all rescued from the Oakville Humane Society. So they, they do an amazing job. The problem is that... Um, it's complex. It's complex. And, you know, the fact that you're applying doesn't guarantee a single thing. Now, if you want to join the conversation this morning, you can call us at 416-870-1050, 416-870-1050. Or if you're calling from out of town, you can call us at 1-855-591-6876. Uh, the best call of the day will get two years worth of free oil changes courtesy of Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, home of the no commission salespeople. Again, the best phone call of the day today will get two years worth of free oil changes courtesy of Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Um, and for that, you need to call 416-870-1050. Now, um, you know, we need to pay the bill. So it's important that you guys know, and I only have a minute. I'm not going to get too much into this because everybody knows that before they buy a vehicle, they need to make it down to Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. And I want to try to just make all the pain go away. But we are having a massive demo sale. When I say a massive demo sale, there is close to 70, 60 something demos that we have between 2,000 kilometers and 12,000 kilometers that you can get up to $14,000 of the price of the vehicle, or you can finance them still at 0% interest rate. These are like new vehicles that you can buy for used car prices. So before you buy anything in the city, you owe it to yourself to not leave money on the table and make it down to 
Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, home of the no commission salespeople. There was something happening there for sure. Let's take a small break, and then we are going to restart the conversation on several things that we left uh, unfinished. What was it, last Saturday? So let's go for a break, and uh, we'll be right back. I pull up, like, how you pull up, baby? Marcus is not going to funk with my heart. He already owns it. He already owns it. That little guy, man, he looks at me. He just makes like straight eye contact. He's like there. There's a little person inside. It's the cutest thing. But, you know, today we can, we're going to open the, uh, the, the phone lines for all sorts of different types of conversations. Last week we started with, uh, you know, your first car and how you, how you purchased it. And uh, also I want to send a huge, huge, huge shout out to my daughter, Emma. Um, I, we were struggling to try to get her a vehicle, and uh, she she refused to let me help her buy it. So you know she got a job. Uh, she's she's off to Western on uh, September. Uh, I mean from home, uh, you know for the initial part of the year. But I think that she's moving into residence in a few months, and uh, she got herself a job uh, at a restaurant around the corner. She's a hostess there, and she's 17. She's just turning 18 next month. So she's been saving her money for a while now, and uh, she literally just pulled cash <laughs> she showed up with a water cash yesterday and um, and pay for the uh, for the vehicle uh right up front so she wouldn't let me uh, help her uh congratulations Ika. uh you know job well done i uh, i really hope that you enjoy this car and uh, uh she's gonna love it it's an older car it's eight years old it's got you know about one hundred and sixty thousand kilometers but i mean that's how we build character and um uh, she picked it up, Ken. I, I was super proud to see her. <laughs> you know, I, I gave you the full, uh, you know, experience yesterday at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. She came in and she was treated like a like a customer. Um, the uh, it was it was good to see her. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Uh, a big step, obviously, and. You know, when you get your first job, you're working in the restaurant. Like, my first job was also in a restaurant, so I can relate to that. Uh, I was actually a pizza delivery guy when I first started out in the business, 16 years old, uh, driving my Chevrolet tracker all over the place. Uh, it's a good first job, man. You get good the good people skills. You learn how to multitask, and it's a fast-paced team environment. So a good pl- starting point for sure for the first place to work. Yeah, I uh, so we did a full, uh, you know, a full delivery. And uh, folks, if you, um, you know, one of the uh, one of the things that I was the most terrified and uh, and shocked when I worked with one of the uh, one one of the American import companies that I, you know, I, oh, sorry, I just get shivers down my spine every time I think about that experience. Um, when I worked with them for the very very super super long period of time of sixteen weeks or so. Uh, I was amazed as to how people would show up at the store to pick up, you know, one hundred and twenty thousand dollar fully loaded pickup trucks, and they would say, "Here are the keys." Uh, this company does not have CSI. CSI is the Customer Satisfaction Index, in which dealerships are measured on 
the experience the customer has after they pick up their car. And honestly, these uh, these folks would just hit the keys and here, off you go. And <laughs> customers would be calling nonstop, uh, the sales managers, general sales managers, and the GMs for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time asking, how do I make my radio work? How do I connect my Bluetooth? Where is this? Where is that? And uh, what we tried to do yesterday uh, was a, a full-on delivery. So folks, if you're buying a vehicle, and uh, you are going to take delivery of the vehicle at the dealership anytime in the future. And your salesperson or uh, an experienced manager, because we have a customer experience managers in Infinity, doesn't spend at least an hour with you. And I know that you may not have the time, but you should make the time. If you're picking up a car that uh, is significant in, uh, to you and is going to be in your life for the next three, four, five, six years, or uh, however long, it is crucial for you to understand all the things that you need to know about the operations of that car. We also understand that you're going to forget most of the stuff that we tell you on the way home. I mean, that's, that's, that's it's a thing that happens. So for the following month or so, keep the owner's manual in your bathroom <laughs> or anywhere that you have a little bit of extra time and just read. Now, I know that uh, owner's manuals, manuals of your new car is not... Uh, preferable or favorable reading material when uh, in, in your bathroom, but uh, I, I would strongly recommend that you do that. What do you normally read, um, Ken? I'm a big uh, big Twitter guy. If we're talking about when uh, you have to use the restroom, got to make yeah. sure that you have your phone, make sure you have the iPad, and just scroll through, get your updates on the news. Uh, generally, we'll flip in on a couple different news apps, sports apps, that sort of thing, just to, anything to keep you preoccupied for the time being. Um. I, I don't know how I feel about Twitter anymore. Um, back in uh, back in the days when I, I was um, I was spending a lot of time on uh, on one hundred two point one The Edge with Dean Blundell, uh, we grew the Twitter account enormously. And back in two thousand and twelve, my account got ver verified, and I, you know we grew it up to what sixty seventy thousand followers, and they're, they're still there. But it's a, it's a silent thing. You got to remember, I'm just a car guy, right? But uh, for some reason in Canada, Twitter really never took off the way that it did in the United States. Um, you know, Canada is far bigger on Instagram than they are on Twitter. Uh, would you agree with that statement? Or I think it's a generational thing more than anything. Uh, the younger generations are obviously much more engaged on certain platforms than other, so whether it be Instagram, TikTok. I think Twitter is kind of a little bit of the older generation and also more news oriented. Like if you need an update from for what's going on in politics, for what's going on just real time in really mm -hmm. any any medium, Twitter, yep. I think, is the fastest way to get the news out there, and that's what I use it for. But yes, as far as the casual social media user, Instagram or Facebook are by far more popular platforms on the whole. I am so over Facebook; it's not even funny. Yeah, I can't even. I can't do it anymore. I got my uncle Rick posting weird articles that oh, dude, aren't, aren't, aren't any credible sources. Uh, I got people just like spewing awful takes on my comment feed. It's a complete disaster. I had to delete my account. You know, I, I, I won't delete it because I have been on Facebook since 2007, 2008. That's how long I've had my Facebook account and I do business in there. But uh, the virtue signaling, the pontificating, the preaching is out of control. It's and brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. And I I have a bunch of people that I know that I've met over the years that uh, 
oh my god uh, honestly like really <laughs> is this necessary you know you you know when somebody's broken up you know when somebody is fighting with their spouse yeah you it's know too everything much. like but, save something yeah, it's I don't, complicated I don't relationship <laughs> like it, it's as if anybody cares it's like oh you just need to let the whole world know that you're in a complicated situation everybody's in a complicated situation man and that's what what life's all about life is complicated life is suffering folks and if you if you really think uh, uh, that is anything other than that then you really haven't thought much about it <laughs> I suffer when I'm hungry I'm, I suffer when I need to get up I suffer when I need to go to work and you know what happens in between is try to find meaning and we, we need to find meaning in something now one of the things that I wanted to share with you folks this morning is this the one of, I'd say that one of the fundamental goals of this radio show at its, its inception back 13 or so years ago was to, you know, picture, you know, picture a pot and the pot as being the car business and uh, take the lid off the pot and stir up the bottom of the soup so the consumer could see, they could taste, they could ask and they would know everything about the goes going ons of the inside of a car dealership but coming from an awesomely and crude raw transparency standpoint i decided that whatever i was asked about a car dealership i would tell the customer the truth so that way they would know what they were walking into in I mean, unfortunately, over the last 130 or so years that car dealerships have been around, dealerships haven't done a particularly good job and given themselves a good reputation. And it's mostly because of people that go in it with no intention of making a career uh, out of car sales or out of service or parts. They just, you know, it is often an in the meantime job. And when you don't have skin in the game, when you're not working towards the long, uh, towards the long term, it is very easy to do things that, eh, you know, somebody else is going to have to pay for it. And our industry is filled with that. So what I wanted to do, it was, it was simply just to share a little bit of the the stuff that goes on inside a car dealership and a lot of people will be exposed to the car industry through sales so car salespeople are <laughs> they don't have a particularly good reputation uh, rightfully so or not that is subjective um, but I can tell you this at one point you only needed to have a pulse and you were hired um, today, in order for you to become a successful automotive retail professional, um, number one, OMVIC, the Ontario Motor Vehicle Industry Council, has a laws and ethics course that you need to pass before you are even considered uh, joining the car industry. Um, and it's not, um, I mean, it's not difficult, but it's not a particularly easy course. Not everybody passes. Um, saying that, you need to have a sponsoring dealer. So you cannot just go there and get the course done. There's got to be a dealer that sponsors you, but um, that's great. You can apply, you get a sponsor, but that doesn't guarantee a single thing in relation to your success as a salesperson. So over the last 27 years or so, 
from being a salesperson myself to then becoming a sales manager, a general sales manager, a general manager, a vice president, and owner of different corporations, I have been fortunate enough to be exposed to some amazing, amazing people that through training, through conversation, they have achieved some unbelievable levels of success. And uh, this morning, I want to take a little bit of time uh, to, to share some of those things that um, may or may not be as obvious as you may think. Um, a typical thing that we hear, and maybe I'm going to ask Ken about this. Ken, what, what do you think that people think uh, it is required for somebody to be a good car salesman? Or saleswoman? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think the most important thing for any salesperson is to be personable. I mean, you have to be able to relate to the person that you're trying to sell the product to, make them trust you at, that you're the right person to make the purchase from because there's any multitude, like I don't know how many car sales per people there are in the GTA, thousands probably. So why should they choose you? They have to trust you. So, and that starts with the personality up front. So that's gonna be a big one for sure. Uh, I think as well, obviously knowledge of the product. I think for mm -hmm. any salesperson, you have to understand what you're selling to sell it effectively. So if you're in the car dealership and you're asking them about horsepower, or you're asking them about torque or the different options that the car might have, and they have no idea what the hell they're talking about, that's probably not gonna be a good attribute for, a, for an automotive salesperson. Believe it or not, those two things that you just said to me are one of the most commonly held beliefs in the car in in, in the, the public in general. Uh, over the years, you always heard people say, "You know, oh, you 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 have so many friends. You're so friendly. You're so easy to talk to. You should get into sales." And we we always hear that. And then you have. Uh, gearheads that love cars, they know every brand, they know every every model, every horsepower, every engine size, they know everything about cars. And you said, you know what? You should get into car sales. So today we are going to uh, debunk some myths, if you will, um, in relation to what I see based on my practical experience that you actually need to potentially have a successful career in the car industry. Are you with me with this, Ken? Yeah, let's do it. So, let's start. Number one, one of the one of the first one of the first things that people think is that if you love cars, if you know everything about cars, um, and that you you live that car life, um, that you are going to be successful at selling cars. And this is what I can tell you: people who love cars not often do well selling cars. It's not a good idea. You see, I've said this, I've said this before, and, um, and I'll share this with you again because it's important. Whenever emotions get involved, logic is the first victim. So in order for you to be able to sell something, sell it in the proper way. You see, I don't believe in emotional selling. I believe in logic selling, and I believe in information selling. If you are going to take an objective look at satisfying a customer's needs, not wants, needs, 
You have to be pragmatic, you have to be practical, and you have to be detached from the product that you're selling. You see, in the past, you would go into a Nissan dealership and, 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 and a commission sales guy would tell you, you know, no, no, you shouldn't buy a Honda or Toyota, they're terrible cars, or don't buy a Hyundai, you know, they have terrible resale value, or a Kia, who knows what, who Kia is or if they're going to be around in the future. They would try to bring their product up by calling the competition down, when the reality is this that there is not a single car manufacturer, with the exception of one, there's not a single car manufacturer, except one, that makes a bad product today. Not a single one. So if anybody tells you that you should be buying a Honda or, over a Toyota, or a Toyota over a Nissan, or a Nissan over a Hyundai or over a Kia because of quality, because of resale value, because of anything, they are not being truthful to you. That is not an accurate statement anymore. Right now, you can pick any vehicle within a Kia lineup and put it against a Honda product and they will compete in the most aggressive form, not only on price, not only on equipment, not only in warranty, but they will compete in, in reliability and durability over the next 10 years. And a lot of people have this misconception of quality and reliability and resale value that is no longer true. And on that basis, you cannot really beat somebody that loves a brand and expect to get objectivity from them. It's important that you recognize that as a consumer. And also, it's important that you recognize that as a car salesperson or an automotive retail professional. No, don't do that. Next, you are far more likely to be successful in the car industry, Ken, if you have something that I call the farmer mentality. You see, back in the day, we all have seen the movie, we've all known about the sharks, you know, the, the sharks that just stand around the front door, you know, can you picture this, Ken? About the sharks? Yeah, the sharks, all, this, yeah, all the sales guys that are at oh, the door okay. just yeah, waiting yeah. for you to come in so they can pounce on you, right? Oh yeah, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, actually, when you walk into a store at the Aiton Center, you're just poking around, not necessarily looking for something, or maybe you know exactly what you are looking for, but you know where it is in the store, and as soon as you walk in, You've got people right up in your grill trying to, do you need help finding anything? Do you need this? Do you need that? And I understand it because unlike Oakville Nissan, a lot of these people are making commission. So there's incentive for them to get involved and something. try to sell you something. But man, is it a turnoff for me. Like if somebody comes up to me right away as soon as I walk in, I'll just as likely leave the store without what I was looking for just because I think it's annoying. You know, I, I have held some uh, speaking conferences on this, on hiring practices for the car business of the future. And I can tell you this, if you are exclusively hiring type A personalities to be the leaders of your sales force, you should get an F for hiring practices. If you're hiring type A personalities to be the leaders in your sales floor, you should get an F for hiring practices. I'll explain why that is on the other side of the break. Folks, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show here on TSN 1050 with my friend Ken Stapon. And if you have a phone call, a question, suggestion, concern, if you want to disagree with me, call me 416-870-1050. We will be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Randy Couture. And if I'm not beating people up, I'm listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Give it a listen. Take care. 
but it's one of the most awesome songs <laughs> anywhere I can play it on the guitar can and I I kill it when I sing it I can't sing I use my guitar to drown out the awful sounds that come out of my mouth I can see that I'm not a big guitar guy myself never been gifted as far as the musical instruments are concerned but I have been known to enjoy a nice glass of Tennessee whiskey on occasion on the weekend so I can respect that I am um, you know, I've gotten into the habit of, uh, you know, having a little bit of uh, whiskey in in a cigar. It's been a, a newly acquired habit, and um, you know, just just to force myself to just think, you know, outside of the house, sit there for thirty five, forty five minutes, and have a Greg moment. Uh, we get so caught up in the day to day, we get so caught up in the nonsense of life sometimes that we forget to just be us, and. Um, I um I, I I decided not to uh, not to apologize about being you know me anymore. So just just do you, and whoever happens to stay is gonna stay. You know it's it's amazing what happens when you become comfortable in in essence in your own skin, Ken. And and this is only something that that happens as you get older, man. <laughs> you know if you are in a path of self awareness and you you finally see the light in which you accept yourself for who you are, flawed, perfectly flawed. And then you just say, all right, this is me, man. It got me here and accept it. Uh, it's amazing what happens and how much better you feel. But uh, yeah, a little bit of whiskey and some cigars is certainly a, a nice thing to do. Uh, you know, before the break, sorry, folks, I, I, you know, I digress on this. Sometimes there are far more important things to talk about than just sales in the car industry. I was telling you about if, if a dealership has, uh, you know, the... the, the the, pro the proclivity to hire type A personalities uh, to, to do sales, car sales, is not a good thing. And i tell you why. Most type A's are hunters. You know, they go and they hunt and they try, they, they, they eat what they kill. And uh, once the, the killing fields are finished or there is not enough traffic or there is not enough prospects, guess what they do? They move to other areas so they can hunt again. And that perpetuates in indefinitely in the car industry, I, I heard, I, I need to confirm this with my buddy Todd Burjon from the TADA, but last time, last time I, I heard the average length that a car salesperson stays at a dealership is eight months, Ken. Eight months. No repeat business, no referral business. They just eat what they kill and they move on. And you can recognize those people very, very quickly. You know they're not going to stay. And uh, sometimes you need to make the, the tough calls of sacrifice in that for farmers, people that like to look after their customers, to cultivate the, the relationship. You see, you, you know, when, when you address a customer's essential needs and, and the customer feels understood, if the customer feels heard, if the customer feels that their needs are, are actually being taken care of and they're not being railroaded into them buying the vehicle in which they would make, the salesperson would make the most money, guess what? They will come back to you, man. They will come back to you. They will send their family, their friends, their spouses, their kids. They will send everybody to see you. So you need to plant the seed of trust. And that's how you build a business. And over the years, I've, I've, I've always noticed that the farmers will do terrible in the first little bit. 
So for the first six months, they do nothing. And often they get discouraged in the process. And hunters do really, really well in the first, the first month, two months, three months. They just they kill sales. They do super well, but then they taper off. Farmers is the complete opposite. And you see, this is associated, and there, there is there's an act, there's studies that have been conducted on this, is that people with a higher I, or IQ seek for more consensus. People with a higher level of intelligence, they seek to have fairness injected in, into the interactions they have with other people. So they're not as aggressive as people that would try to close that car deal on the spot. So if you're a farmer, and you like to build things, and you are looking at the long game, um, you should probably consider sales. Uh, number eight, if you have a degree in marketing and accounting, is very, very important. Not only uh, because, you know, if there is ever a possibility of management, uh, these things are going to come in so, so, so handy, uh, but also it's because it's going to give you a different perspective in, in metrics. A lot of salespeople and managers, for that matter, they have no concept of the necessary metrics that you need in order to effectively run a retail car retail sales operation. They just happened to be there by attrition. They were the last men standing, therefore they got promoted. And that's not a good reason to be promoted. Next, if you play team sports at a competitive level, I can tell you almost without a single exception, every new hiree that had played competitive sports at a an, an high competitive, competitive level, they will make it. There is no question. So if you have played any for any sort of team sport, and you don't know what to do with your life right now, you should probably consider sales. And, and the reason why I tell you this is the following. Hard work, persevering, repetition, instinctual development. So you repeat something over and over and over and drill it and over and over again. And eventually it just, just, you know, starts working. You start getting better. You start getting more comfortable. It becomes second nature. All of those things are going to come in crucial when it comes to understanding human nature. And also you understand that you are part of a bigger ecosystem. That if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, everybody else would suffer. And I can tell you, folks, the, the people that I have hired that have been competitive athletes, they are amazing and they're rock stars. Next, if you have a large social media following, um, if <laughs> there are some people that just they're just engaging, they are people are attracted to them. They're like a magnet. They're a social magnet. And why not use it? Instead of posting pictures of you chugging vodka over the weekend like Ken likes to do, um, why don't you use that to your advantage? You see, advantages are taken. They're not handed out. So it is very, very important that you understand that sometimes you need to play to your strengths. So if you're one of those people, for whatever reason, people gra gravitate towards, get into sales and see if you can make a go out of it. Next one. If you have a crazy work ethic and you are willing to see the long game, this is probably for you. Uh, I can tell you that if you are constantly trying to steer yourself into doing what is right, if you're constantly trying to force yourself to work, to force yourself to make the, the phone calls, to force yourself to send the emails, and you can't get out of the house or out of, out of bed in the morning, car sales is not for you. Car sales is, is going to eat you up. Why? Because when the time comes 
the people that do what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing it, how they're supposed to be doing it, eventually they will be seen. The customers will see it. The management will, team will see it. They themselves will see what they're doing. And it's going to start paying off. And this is a long process. Folks, when I started selling cars, I was terrible at it. I'm not a good salesperson. So because the only, I, I, I've said this before, I am the least talented person that you will ever meet. I was given only one gift. It was the gift of self-awareness. I knew how terrible I was. And on that basis alone, I worked on it. Every single day, there was another book. There was another seminar. There was another video. There was another talk that helped me build on that desire to be a better person. And it was my job to provide my employers and my customers with a better version of myself every single day. And that's how we get there. Next, if you have a good temper, <laughs> getting into sales, it is the job for you. Especially if somewhere in the back of your mind, management is, is something that you've been thinking about. Um, there's a couple of rules that I have and you know, right or wrong uh, is, is important. The, um, I will never give a promotion to somebody that asked me for it. I won't do it. I won't do it. I will never do it. Um, now, I can't say that you are wrong by asking for a promotion. And uh, certainly every single company is run by different type of leaders or bosses. And, uh, but in my company, if somebody seeks power for power itself, it is the number one reason why I shouldn't give it to them. You see, if you want to be a manager, you act as a manager. I will see it. I know. We can tell these people right away. And the number one thing that they, these people have is good temper. If you are not able to keep your head straight under heavy, heavy pressure or unusual circumstances, you can't do it. You won't be able to do it. I can tell you. You know, whenever it comes to dealing with other humans, oh man, humans can get you riled up in ways that you would never imagine. You put cars, you put money, you put emotions involved, and guess what? <laughs> they are explosions waiting to happen. Next, patience is essential. You need to be able to sit back and look at the long term. You know, investment, investment in your education, investment in your customers, follow up. You know, three, four, five, six months from now, are you still calling your customers? Are you still calling them to wish them a happy birthday? Six months, hey, how's the car going? Is there anything that you need from me? I'm here for you. Don't forget. You see, top of mind is one of the number one things that we need to do if you want to build this farm, if you want to plant the seeds for you to be able to reap some of the rewards. Patience is what you need. Number two, you love trying to understand people and their behavior. If you don't like people, folks, or if you don't have this affinity for understanding human condition, human psychology, and human behavior, you should never get into sales you will fail and i can tell you this because the complexity and the idiosyncrasies of every single human that you're going to be dealing with on a day-to-day minute-by-minute hour-by-hour basis is enough to drive you insane so if you don't go into understanding human behavior and people for that matter with the eyes of a student with the eyes of a white belt you will very very easily become overwhelmed. And then I mean, one thing that I think everyone that is considering 
joining a sales position, not even in the car industry, it, just sales in general. I believe this is a, a Steve Jobs quote, but don't quote me on my quotes because I am vague on who says them. I just love quotes. He said, I have a very healthy disregard for the impossible. In order for you to be successful in any sort of performance-based environment, you have to have a healthy disregard for what the, what society, what the culture, what your gut tell you that is not possible. You see, if I had to bet on me, I will bet on me 100% of the time because I know the throughput, the output. I know the commitment that I can bring to a position. And I can tell you that somebody may outsmart me at first, but they will never, ever, ever be able to outwork me. And if you're not committed, if you're not absolutely obsessed with your own success, guess what? Nobody else is. In fact, they're super happy when you don't make it. So your obsession with your own success is going to be the only guaranteeing factor that you could have if you, if you want to have a successful car sales career. And for that matter, a, a, a sales career in the first place. Any thoughts on this, Ken? I just think that everything that you just said there pertains not just to even being successful in sales and in that industry, but can pertain to your life as well. Like, I think it's important to have a certain amount of, I don't know, I guess, uh, self-motivation to be successful in whatever it is. And like you said, it's will over skill to a certain degree. You can be very talented in a certain field, but if you're not working hard, you're not going to be successful in any avenue of your life. And oftentimes, the guy who has less inherent skill but has more gumption and is willing to put in the hard work (laughs) is going to be more successful in the long run. You know, you, you just said it. You know the number of people that are super, super, super talented that I have had to let go over the years because they're so confident or overconfident on that skill that they become, they take it for granted. They become complacent. They think this comes easy. So they stop working and they feel entitled to a success that is so fickle. I can tell you this, folks, if you don't work every single day towards that ultimate success goal, you are not going to make it. Folks, Money Mike is going to be on the other side of the hour and he is going to tell you some crazy, crazy things about where your income once you retire is going to come from. I want to know, do you know? Let's take a small break. This is the Greg Carrasco Show with Ken Stapon here on TSN 1050. Call us, 416-870-1050 on TSN 1050. Hey, Greg, Mike Robitaille here. We hear you loud and clear all the way down to Buffalo. And if you can hear my voice, you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Slacker Nation is back Saturday morning. Here's where we all live. Here's where we inject a little bit of crazy common sense into our lives. And uh, as usual, one of my best friends here, Money Mike, is in the house. Money Mike. Good morning to you all. How are you? I'm, you know what? I'm excellent. I'm uh, coming on the final final days of a week vacation. Family and I were up at a cottage in Muskoka for the week. It was uh, it was fantastic. Nice. I uh, I don't know if I can. I'm gonna be able to do that for a while. I have new commitments in the house now, so yes. I have to take care of that. You don't yeah. have a dog in your house, do you? Uh, no, no. Andrew and I uh, had a very very long, very serious conversation shortly after we got married, do we have pets or children? 
And there were times it was a toss-up, man. <laughs> but we figured we couldn't do both, so we went with the kids. Really, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've always had a really a dog involved in my life since I was little. I mean, in Chile, Chile is an interesting place because there was a lot of stray dogs everywhere, mm-hmm. and um, I, uh, I had from just general all around mutts, terriers to German shepherds to collies to bull mastiffs to everything, and uh, you know there was you know all throughout my life is there's been a dog in the background, yeah. and you don't realize how much uh, you you miss dogs once you don't have one around but uh no it's it's, it's been an interesting thing uh, for sure i'm super happy to see you i'm um, glad to be here i was um i was thinking about you the other day because uh you know emma came and picked up her car yesterday i heard yes. yeah big step big step and uh she brought cash man <laughs> <laughs> and you cringed oh, inside but oh, had to man. let it go you know I, I i i was trying to help her out man and uh, they were looking at other cars and I, I i said to my ex-wife i said man you know emma's dad is arguably the most influential automotive business think tank in the country and uh, his daughter is not asking him for car advice yep. it's like what and, yep. and 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 nancy said well she's your child she will not be influenced. She wants to do her own thing. She is fiercely independent, and she thinks that she can do this. So, yep. you know, I, you know, what are you, what are you gonna do, uh, folks? You're listening to the Greg Carrasco show here on TSN 1050. This is the largest automotive radio show in the country with my friend Ken Staple on the other side. And um, you know, from time to time, Money Mike comes and and, and talks to us. Uh, Money Mike is uh, is my own personal financial advisor. I've known him for about 20 years or so, and he is the uh, he's the person that manages my money. And over the years, I have been so happy with the way that he relates to me and the way that he's helped me through some interesting times. Like, I mean, even through COVID now, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time. And uh, he comes and and talks to us about important things that we often don't think about. And uh, I I feel that he is a value added to you. He's a value added to the audience. And that if you are in a position in which you don't know what to do with your money, if you're not happy with your financial advisor, if you came across some money and inheritance, some property dollars that uh, that you're going to acquire after you sell this property and you don't know what to do with, I can tell you this. There is no safer, more objective, and, and straightforward place than with Money Mike. So if you want to reach him after the show, uh, Money Mike's direct phone number is 905-320-6762. I'll, I'll say this again. Money Mike's direct phone number is 905-320-6762. Or you can send him an email at moneymike.ca. Uh, for the purpose of today's show, you can, uh, if you want to ask him a question on air about finances, about retirement, about investment, you can call 416-870-1050 or you can call us, uh, if you're calling from out of town, at 1-855-591-6876. And remember, the best phone call of the day will get two years free worth of oil changes courtesy of Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Um, we're going to talk about the R a word mm. retirement yes um i can tell you one thing that i was not thinking about during my 20s and 30s and even early 40s age i never thought about it uh, i thought i was invincible mm. i thought i was gonna live forever yeah and uh you know I, i'll share this with you and in, in something that kind of changed the course of my life really um you know, I smoked for a long time. I think I've shared this with you in the past. I was aware. Yeah, yeah. I smoked for a long time. I was never a big smoker. And um, I um, 
I remember when my son Josh turned 18, we we went to Europe, uh, and uh, we we went to Paris and Belgium and Amsterdam and a bunch of other places. And uh, I figure my son is 18 now. We're driving a convertible. I'm just gonna let him see me smoke because I'm his dad. I will do what I want. So I did. When we came back from the trip, I remember him. You know, I I dropped him off at his mom's house and. He said to me, Dad, do you mind? I, I, he said, I knew you smoked. I just didn't know you smoked that much. And uh, he says, do you mind staying alive for when my kids are born? Mm. And uh, I remember giving him my pack of cigarettes and my uh, lighter. And that was the last time I had a cigarette. So that was five years ago now, um, August 16th. Uh, so Coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow tomorrow's going to be yeah. five years of not smoking. Now, there isn't a single day that I don't miss having a cigarette. That never went away. It just became a decision for me. Um, but, you know, incidentally, soon after that, um, I I don't know, I, I tweaked my back or something, and I went and I got an x-ray done. And uh, the x-ray technician said, oh, you're a smoker. And I said, uh, pardon? She says, look. So she they show me my spine, and they show soft tissue, and I can see the outline of my lungs, and I can see at the bottom, like black residue. Mm-hmm. And that terrified me terrified me and at that point i became aware of my mortality (laughs) (laughs) and and there is where retirement comes into place you know at some point you just don't know how long you're gonna be around and um, you know for some people comes a little sooner than later like you know we were talking about you know income retirement you know most people don't think about where is my money gonna come from when i retire you know where do i get it from and um you know there is a few places that you can get your this retirement income um can you talk to us a little bit about this? You know, your retirement, how it happens. Yeah, planning for your retirement income is the most critical part of financial planning. And, and I mean, we've talked before about some people never want to retire. And I mean, I envy anyone who's sort of found a, a career path and passion that they feel they never want to retire from. If you're doing everything you want to do every day of your life, you never need to retire from it. That's great. But I, I think a lot of people would like to have the financial independence to step back from what they're doing. So we're going to call that retirement, call it what you want. Um, but the time at which you are no longer required to work to put food on the table, uh, and the question becomes, where does your income come from? So we have a very specific way we have to approach it, the way we have to think about it, to put it part of your plan, to know where your your money, where your retirement paycheck is going to come from when you stop working. And so the very first part of that, of course, is pensions. Mm-hmm. And we, we've talked a little bit about this on, on the show the last, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, your a government pension, or I'm not going to, not government pension, but company pensions is something that's disappearing from society. Uh, more and more, we're going to be responsible to create our own pensions and our own retirement income. But if you're fortunate enough that you have a company pension, that's going to be your first line of income. You retire from that um, from that employer eligible for your pension. doesn't matter if you're 52, 55, 65, uh, you can be receiving a company pension and that's that's the first sum of money we're going to plan on. But a lot of those jobs are going away now. So unless yeah. you're a civil servant, you're not getting pension. No, there's not many. There's so, not many. I mean, the, the reality is this, that most of us, especially if you work in the private sector, uh, a pension is not a thing. Right. It's, it's, not, it's just simply not a thing. So in the absence of a pension, mm-hmm. w- 
how do you see this? Let's say that somebody saved nothing. They did nothing with their money. (laughs) You know, you're reminding me, there's this great cartoon I saw in the the newspaper a number of years ago. And it was a a guy sitting in front of his financial planner saying, uh, listen, I haven't saved anything. I haven't accumulated anything. I don't have any RSPs or a company pension. And I'm retiring next year. Work your magic. Um, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, that magic just doesn't exist. So, you know, it, we're, we're, we'll talk about what happens if you don't have a company pension. But hopefully, if you do, and, yep. and again, I recognize that's less than 30% of the population that do. Uh, if you do, what you want is for your pensions to pay your fixed expenses, your so your housing, your food, your clothing, possibly even your transportation, all those fixed costs that are going to happen year in, year out, just for you to exist. Mm-hmm. It'd be great if pensions covered that. If you have a company pension, it's going to be a big contributor to that. But what other pensions do people have? Well, we've got the government pensions, right? Okay. So we've got Canada Pension Plan, which can start as early as 60. If you take it at 60 it gets reduced for taking it early because the the normal retirement age is 65 for Canada pension. So for every month you take it before age 65, it's re- your pension will be reduced by 0.6%. So 36% reduction if you take it at age 60. Oh, wow. So it, it's it's a big hit, but you know if it factors into your plan, then it, it can work and still meet your needs. So that's where the government pension can come in. Uh, Canada pension plan right now, the maximum amount is $1,175 per month. So that's a that's a, a good start. Do you, is this taxable? And yes. I, so I'm going to ask the silliest and most rudimentary questions, okay? Okay. Is it, so you have to pay taxes on this 1175 Yes. What's the tax that you have to pay on this? Depends on what your total income is. So, okay. So, so let, what, what tax bracket are you in? If, if that's your only income, you're not paying any tax on it. Okay. If you're making, if you have a company pension that pays you fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, you're a teacher, you're a police officer, you know something of that nature, then you know you can be paying thirty one, thirty three percent on that. So it really depends. You you've got to know what where all of your income is coming from so you can do that tax evaluation. So that's going to be another. That's where another pension, and then of course ultimately old age security that mm-hmm. does start at age sixty five. Uh, right now, the maximum is $613 a month, again, taxable, but you don't have an option to take that one early. You can defer it, but you can't take it early. And there's income tests that it can get clawed back if you make too much money, mm-hmm. but a large number of people don't have to worry about the clawback. So there's there's your two government pensions. It can be almost $1,800 a month between the two of them. If you're adding that to a company pension, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, you've got a really solid base, and hopefully all your fixed expenses are covered. And hopefully by then your house is paid off and your expenses are significantly lower. The kids have moved out. Uh, They've moved back with the grandkids, and they moved out again. Now you're finally ready. No, 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 no. Don't you, do that to me. <laughs> do not do that to me. <laughs> but that's that's. I mean, that's the ideal plan. If you can have your pensions cover the fixed then all you've got to save for through your working years Mm -hmm. are your lifestyle expenses, the variable expenses, the travel, what you want to do, entertainment, um, that you're going to have to save for. Now, a a vast majority of people, their company pensions don't cover the fix. So now not only do I have to save for my lifestyle expenses, I may have to save for my fixed expenses as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's where creating a plan is going to be so critical for you to figure out exactly how am I going to fund my retirement. Folks, if you don't have a plan about what is going to happen to you in your life when you retire, you owe it to yourself to write this number down. It's 905-320-6762 or moneymike.ca. He's the guy that's helping me not to get stressed out about what's going to happen when I stop working. I don't know if I can ever stop working. I don't, I don't know. I, I would go crazy at home. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think there is forced retirement in Canada anymore, is there? No. No, there's, it's, it's not legal anymore. So what happens when you have somebody working for you that's 80 years old that they can't do the job anymore? Oh, heavens, I don't know. I, you know, when I started in this career, there were two gentlemen in my office who were already 70 who, were, who still did the business. Um, one of them was uh, planning to retire as, around the time that I started. The other gentleman, as soon as computers came in he and was he gone. was going to be required, he said, yep, nope. Not my circus. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, so, but the oldest, the longest standing consultant in, in my company, I'm not sure if he's still doing it. The last time I saw him at a convention, he was 88 years old, 56 years in the career. Oh my So some, goodness, some people can still do it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but even if you could, why would you want to? That is the question I have always struggled with because my my industry is one of those ones where you, you see an inordinate number of people uh, far past the normal retirement age still working. And, and my industry specifically, yeah. we are retirement specialists. So I, I find it difficult for me to sit in front of someone helping them plan for retirement and yet I don't plan on ever retiring. It's a bit of a it's mixed a bit message. Of a, it's, a, it's a conflict, but yeah. uh, the, the number one response that I get uh, for people that um, continue to work after the age of 65 is that, you know, either I drive my wife crazy or she drives me crazy, so I need to get out of the house. <laughs> it, it's, it can be a marriage saver. Absolutely. I, you know, my wife and I talk about retirement, and she says, I, got, I think you're going to have to work two or three years after me so that I can get settled into retirement before you join me. Um, you know, cause if we retire at the same time, same thing, we, are we just, we're going to be trying to establish routines. Or we're going to be in each other's way. Uh, we like this routine of you go off to work. So that's the plan. Of course, I'm trying to remind her I'm three years older than her. Of so, course, of um, course, but, of but course. that math doesn't, uh, it doesn't apply. No, it doesn't give you any, any sort of goodwill on that side. Nope. nope. So, you know, here's another question for you. How much do I need to save? I mean, I think that we all ask ourselves, retirement is imminent, or at least it's a fantasy that we all have, and we, we see it, we taste it, and we all picture this this grandiose, uh, you know, riding or driving into the sunset, right. you know, traveling the world and going into cruises, and who knows what the cruise industry is going to do after COVID. But anyways, you still want to go and, and live. You want to go and drink and eat, go to exotic places and see things. How much do I need to save, man? Well, you know, that's... That's the probably the most important question to ask because the reality is there is no one number fits all. Uh, it really does depend on what your expenses to live will be, what you plan on doing in retirement. Um, you know, how much will be provided by those pensions? How much of that shortfall do you have to make up? So, you know, creating a, a retirement income plan really comes down to, you know, we've talked about it before, reverse engineering, right? Yeah. What do you plan on spending? What's it going to cost to keep you alive, to keep you living the life you want? And everybody's different in that regard. But how, 
this has always been a conflict for me because we often look our, at our lives through today's lenses. You know, right. what I what I what I'm doing today is something that I want to maintain. But the truth is that my energy level is going to be different. My interests are going to be different. My family situation is probably going to be different. So how do you even predict, you know, such things in order for you to have an adequate financial plan that you can that, that you can actually enjoy or, or, or be proud of when the time comes? Right. Well, it starts with having an understanding of what it costs to live today. And then if you, if you have an understanding what your lifestyle costs and expenses and, and what it costs you to, to live the way you want to live at this moment, then you can look at that number and say, how is that going to change in retirement? And you may not know the, the perfect answer to it, but you have to start with an idea. I think I'm going to travel more because I'm not going to be stuck to, uh, to the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start to build in some costs for that. I'm still going to need cars, so I've got to make sure I've added that expense in there. I'm probably going to, you know, buy gifts for my kids still, or some people have a very definitive idea of, you know, my parents helped me get through university or my grandparents did, so I'm going to help my grandkids get through university. So you start with a set of assumptions of what you figure it's going to cost. And then the tools that I use can help figure out what it costs us to support that. But the most important thing is your retirement plan cannot be a fixed thing. Mm-hmm. Your life isn't fixed. It's, it's, it's variable. It changes. Your, your financial plan needs to be a living, breathing thing that can adjust with the changes as you change. Folks, if, you, if this resonates with you and you listen to the show this morning, and uh, you don't have a clear understanding of what's going to happen to you at that crucial moment when you say, okay, enough, I'm hanging the gloves, then you need to pick up the phone and call Mike. His number is 905-320-6762, or you can send him an email at moneymike.ca. Now, for if you're just joining the show, this is the Greg Carrasco Show here with uh, my friend Ken Stapen, and we have as a special guest that we, we try to have here almost every week, uh, Money Mike. Money Mike is my financial planner, and um, he uh, he's looked after my finances so perfectly over the last few years that uh, I had to bring him on board. I had to get him to share some of that knowledge with you because I do find that, you know, and I'm sorry for saying this, but a lot of a lot of guys, um, you know, w- women is somehow are better with money. I've always I, I found that experience over the years, at least with, you know, with my daughter, with my sister, with my ex-wife and uh, with, you know, with partners in general, they have always been better with money than guys. And we, you know, some of us, the the industrious type, you know, you put your nose down to the grindstone and you just start driving and driving and conquering and earning and, and growing and, and, and you do all these things. And uh, then at some point you wake up in your 40s and you say, oh, where has all my money gone? And we don't do a good job supporting one another. Guys don't support one another when it comes to so many crucial things. I mean, personal problems. You don't have anybody to talk to. Finances, we're too afraid of saying, I don't know. And that puts us in in such a tough situation. Pride, folks, never helps. It always hurts. And if you, if right now you think that you have it figured out, but you really haven't haven't sat down with anyone that is going to say, you know what, this is an acceptable uh, retirement plan, and you're doing this by gut. Ah, uh, I don't know. I think that you're leaving a little bit too much to chance. And you know, you talked about this, Mike, last week. There are some people that do a really good job on their own, mm-hmm. but. 
that is a very, very small percentage. Do you find that people are so afraid of saying, I don't know, can you help me? They seem to be the two most crucial you know, sentences that we need to be able to build the strength to say. What are your thoughts on that? Well, some people are afraid to ask. Some people don't know they need to ask. I mean, some of those people that I say have done a, a, done a great job on their own. Mm-hmm. They've done a great job on their own because they live within their means. They spend less than they make. They don't. They're not quick to to figure out if money's building up my bank account. What can I go spend it on? They don't have a consumerist lifestyle, so they accumulate money and they make the best decisions they can. And there are a number of people out there that just think, well, that's just all you have to do. Mm-hmm. And and. I've, I've sat down with a lot of people in that circumstance and they finally do reach a time where they go, you know what? I'm kind of curious. Have I done a good job? Is there something else I should be doing? I'm thinking about retiring, you know, next half dozen years, whatever it is. Am I in good position? And sometimes they are afraid to ask because they don't want to know the answer. One thing I can tell you folks, and many of you are not going to like me when I say this. If right now you are driving a luxury car, but if you ask yourself, if you've spoken to a financial advisor in relation to your retirement, you're doing it wrong. You are failing at something crucial and you cannot look at life with your priorities that twisted. You see, when when you are looking at the immediacy of the you know right now satisfaction and you are unable to delay gratification and you choose to spend 50 60 80 100,000 dollars on a luxury car meanwhile you don't even know if you're going to be able to retire there is a problem here in our society has spent a tremendous amount of time and effort i'm talking billions of dollars of marketing companies have you know put together in order for you to create for you to become a consumer why? This is all comes across as you being insecure about who you are and where you stand right now with what you have. My car is not new enough, so I need a new one. My neighbor has a nicer vehicle. They have to get something else. These shoes are too old. I need to get new ones. And, and that's how they keep you pumping money into the system. And in the meantime, you pump in no money into your own future. And this is something that I, I, I used to reason my way into spending the money to look after myself. Mm. Who is going to look after Greg Carrasco when he is 65? (laughs) So, you know, will Greg at 65 look back at Greg at 48 and say, you... (laughs) 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 Would would I be happy looking back on my choices in today, uh, in today's world, when I am old and now I don't have the energy and the drive to be able to work and survive again? No, I have to be able to put myself in a position in which I'm going to be looking after a 65, a 70, a 75-year-old me because if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. And it, I don't think that we look at our lives that way. We are responsible to ourselves now, but I am also responsible to myself in the future. I am responsible for future Greg. So what I do today has to be under the understanding that it's going to have a, a clear, tangible repercussion on my future when the time comes. Folks, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show here. Money Mike is in the house teaching us how to save money for retirement, how to embrace retirement in a way that makes sense. This is TSN 1050. Call us, 416-870-1050, and uh, we'll be right back after the break.
when I cross the street, it's the cars that have to look both ways. <laughs> I'm Chuck Norris, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. This is the Greg Carrasco Show here on TSN 1050 with Ken Stapleton. And in the house is Money Mike. Money Mike is the financial expert. He is a rock star. He will make your money work for you. His direct line after the show is 905-320-6762. You can send him an email at moneymike.ca. But um, just like we did for the last couple of weeks, we are given two years worth of free oil changes courtesy of Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity for the best call of the day. You know, slackers are slacking today, Ken. What's happening? Yeah, maybe it's just one of those sleepy Saturday mornings. Uh, not as much, nor I should say the phone lines aren't as active as normally, but for sure, give us a call and let us know what you think. If you have a question for Mike, give us a call He's and let us know what you think about retirement if you have any questions. I know it's a conversation that has come up often on the show and often gotten us the best engagement, so... Just give us a have ring. you have you started to uh, save money for retirement, uh, Ken? We discussed this last time Mike was on, and actually he yeah. changed my perspective on a couple of things because I myself have a couple student loans that I've been focusing on for the most part with any extra money that I have, which Mike said wasn't the wrong thing to do. But he said that also because of tax write-offs and the way that that can work, and the government will often cover the interest on those loans, and sometimes you could your money could go further depending on the way that you choose to save it. So I personally haven't started, but have been exploring my options since talking to Mike oh, a, a couple you. shows ago. That's great. Well, it's about time, Ken. You know, I know. You, I'm you, 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 you know, you, you're part of the show now, so you, you, you need to do, you need to live what, what we talk about here. Yeah, I'm doing you know, my we, due diligence. And like I said, <laughs> like you said, it's good to learn from other people's experience rather than making the mistakes yourself. And obviously, Mike has the most experience of the three of us when it comes to managing money. So I'll heed his advice. <laughs> I, um, you know, before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, the variable lifestyle expenses covered by the savings and, uh, you know, how, how do I save? Yeah. You want to finish those thoughts on, on that perspective? Well, it's, it's all about understanding. You want to know how much you need to save. You need to understand what it's going to cost to live and understanding that you can't retire on a fixed income. Your plan has to be a lot more dynamic than that. Hmm. Can you explain that? Elaborate, elaborate on that. Well, you know, back when I was growing up, you would always, often, I shouldn't say always, you would often hear retirees and seniors saying, oh, I'm on a fixed income. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there was a perception out there that that is what retirement was. You're enjoying life while you're working, you're doing vacations, but as soon as you retire, uh -huh. now, now you're on a fixed income. So what's a fixed income? A fixed income means I get an allowance. <laughs> I have to live off a set amount of money every month and and I can never go outside that or financial ruin results. So I have to limit what I do. I have to pinch pennies. I have to watch my spending. That's a fixed income. Folks, retirement. if you want to really scare yourself, you know, and, and you don't really take charge of your finances and your retirement, and the moment you retire, you have to live on an allowance. 
and if the allowance is being given to you by the government, how terrifying is that? It it can be terrifying, but you know what? <laughs> There's a there are a number of people out there who set themselves up to do exactly that, not knowing it. Uh-huh. I'll have people come to me and they'll, and they'll say, uh, "I need to create a retirement plan." I figure I need $5,000 a month or I need 4,000 a month or 6,000. Doesn't matter what the number is. This is what I think I need. And okay. so I can't I can't build a plan when someone says I need $5,000 a month to live. I need to see where that number came from. Mm-hmm. And once you actually go through the exercise to understand what you spend today and talk about how that's going to change in the future, you find out, yeah, you know what? Your numbers are pretty close to 5,000 in a routine month. But. But (laughs) all of a sudden, uh, the house needs a little bit of work. All of a sudden, the car breaks down. All of a sudden, I need a new car. All of a sudden, I want to take a vacation. None of that falls inside the 5,000 a month. So your plan has to account for all of those unique variable items. And that's why your plan cannot be a fixed income plan. There is a big difference between the unknown and the unknowable. Correct. (laughs) Correct. You know, car breakdowns and and house repairs are a great example. I don't know when my roof is going to go. Uh-huh. But I have an idea that it's going to be, it's going to last me around 15 years. So you can prepare for that. And it's going to cost me about X to replace it. Uh So I got to be ready for that. And if it doesn't come at 15 years, it comes at 17. Cool. If I get to 13 in and now it's happening, well, I'm going to have to do it now, but I won't have to do it two years ago when it, or two years later when it was in my plan. So it's in my plan. I can just make a little adjustment. Yeah, so the unknown, there's always a timeline. You don't yes. know when, but yeah. you know you know that it will. Yeah. So it's not if, but when. The unknowable is the scary part. And that's always been the case. So you have to leave some, some wiggle room. Like, and that's where that fixed income retirement, it has no wiggle room. I'll give you an example of this. Um, and, and this is straight out of the experience when I first joined the industry. And I got into the industry in 1996. And I inherited a client from one of those gentlemen I was telling you about that retired shortly after I started. And they had been clients of the company for, I don't know, 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so this guy retired in 1986 and he had $300,000 invested. Okay. He had a fairly, I don't want not an ostentatious lifestyle. He was he he was humble. He lived within his means, but he okay. had he had three hundred thousand dollars in in GICs, and he put it in GICs. Okay, it was paying twelve percent a year. So, he, <laughs> oh, I know. Imagine those <laughs> rates today. But he was earning twelve percent. He was getting paid thirty six thousand dollars a year plus his Canada pension plan uh-huh. back in nineteen eighty six. That was a solid retirement. I would say. Yeah. Now, when those five-year GICs matured in 1991, interest rates went from 12% to 8%. Now his income dropped from $36,000 a year to $24,000. Now, he was able to to justify, you know what? Now, old age security is starting for my wife and I. Uh So we made up most of that ground. We were fine. When they came to me in 1996, interest rates had fallen to 6%. Now, actually, to be precise, yeah. the five-year interest rate was 6%. A one-year interest rate was 4 So yeah. he came to me and he said, you know, I used to be making 8 10 12%. Now I've got a choice between a five-year for 6%, a one-year for 4%. What should I do? Should I take the hit at 4 
because a year from now interest rates will be higher and then I can lock in or do I have to bite the bullet and, and take the six? What did you tell them? Either way you look at it, over the first 10 years of retirement, your income just went from $36,000 a year to 18. Wow. Now you tell me, I'm going to accept your belief here. From 1986 to 1996, uh -huh. what do you think happened to the cost of goods in society? Did it go up or down? Oh, it always goes up. It went up. Inflation, right? Yes. So in a 10-year period when the cost of living rose, his income was cut in half. Mm -hmm. So that is that is my speech on should I use GICs as my investment portfolio? The answer <laughs> is no. But that is the problem with a fixed income approach. Well, the fixed income approach is safe, you know, and this is, this is, is how, it safe. Well, hold on a second. It's at predictable. A, uh, it's predictable at, at a glance and yeah. uh, people don't want to lose money. And so long as they can get one or 2% return, they figure I'm not losing my money. The reality right. is this, that if inflation, is 2% or 3%, you are actually losing money while your money is still in the bank. Yes. And that's the scary part. Now, the <laughs> the interesting thing here is this, that, and, and this is something that I come across all the time. Whenever people are buying things, buying cars, buying houses, they expect to have a 0% interest rate. Right. Where do you think that the return on your investments come from, folks? on the interest rate that you are actually paying. Yeah. I remember when I was when I started in the car industry back in 92 or so, um, the interest rates were 12%, 13% on a car loan. Mm -hmm. And today, we complain because we're paying 2.9%. What do you think that is happening to the investments? Yeah, You're not getting the same amount of return. So now that increases the amount of savings that you need to put away in order for you to generate the income that you require when the time comes for you to retire. Now, if you have, let's say that listeners of the show, they have parents or grandparents, and they, uh, they, they know somebody that they have half a million dollars worth of GICs, what would you advise them to do? Well, it, it depends on the circumstance. I mean, they, it's obviously not enough information to give somebody advice. It's sort of like saying, Doc, my foot's swollen. Can you prescribe something to me? Well, not until I examine your foot. Mm -hmm. um, so in this case, that's one piece of information. Again, with any investment decision, three questions. Who is it for? What is it for? When is it for? Mm -hmm. If you are 80 years old, you have a half a million dollars invested, and you're buying GICs with it for a five-year period, you have no intention of spending that money. That money isn't for you. You're intending, I mean, it's for you if, if something, an emergency happened and you need to access it. But you're sort of saying, I like having this nest egg behind me. I'm probably going to pass it on to my kids. Mm -hmm. Who the, So the who is it for? It's for them. What I is understand. it for? You know, they're going to make that decision when they inherit it. When is it for? Will be after I pass it to them. But if you're 60 years old and you've got a half a million dollars and you're buying GICs, I hope it's not... To, to supply your your retirement income because as you know we just talked about in that example interest rates so low you can't you can't support yourself on that you are going to be eating into that money fast so where would you put it well you've got to you've got to build if this is to provide a retirement income for you mm -hmm. you have to build your own pension you have to get that money professionally managed and you can't do that buying GIC. Would you say that GIC are quite possibly one of the worst places that you can put your money right now? Yeah, yeah. 
uh, nine times out of ten. That tenth time is when you have a very short time frame and that money is objective specific. Folks, this is the Greg Carrasco Show here on TSN 1050. We're going to close off on the other side of the uh, of the break in relation to where our fixed income and how to build this retirement idea. Um, call us, 416-870-1050, and uh, Money Mike is in the house. Let's take a small break, and we'll be right back. Listening to this show is like watching a French bulldog eating lunch off a Brillo pad. I don't know what it means. This is Mike Robitaille, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. to put that song there <laughs> thanks a lot bless bless um the um you're listening to the greg carrasco show here with ken Staple on tsn 1050 and money mike is in the house uh money mike is a money expert he's the guy that i use for professional <laughs> professional greg hey listen that's your lingo i I'm, i just referred to you as you know the way that i want to you know it's my party and i cry if i want to. fair enough fair enough <laughs> uh you can uh write this number down if, if if what we're speaking about today talks to you uh you owe it to yourself to you know to take control Guys and girls, you you need to take control of your future. You need to take control of your finances. You need to take control of your money. And if you don't have a plan, a financial plan that is going to guarantee the safety, the financial safety of your of your future, of your family, when you are in your 60s and 70s and 80s, when you are unable to go to work, maybe unwilling, who's going to look after you? Who's going to pay your bills? You have to write this number down, 905-320-6762. That is Money Mike's direct line uh, after the show, or you can send them an email at moneymike.ca. Um, Mike, we, we talked earlier about this this whole concept of GAC and the interest rate being so low. And, uh, you know, when you get in, you know, 2 3% return on your investments on GAC, but inflation <laughs> is 2 or 3%. So you end up backwards. Talk to me about that. Fallen behind. We, you have to, again, this is that, uh, the concept of not planning for a fixed income in retirement. You need to plan for your income to grow in retirement. And here's the, here's the reality about inflation. A lot of people that I talk to, they want an early retirement. They don't want to work until they're 70 or 65. They want to retire. I think the, the median age in Canada is somewhere between 62 and 63. But people want to retire at 60. They want freedom 55, mm-hmm. right? I hate you, London life. Freedom 55 is <laughs> they what did they it, want. They did it, man. They did it. You know, they promoted it. Yes, but they... Whether or not they could accomplish it was another thing. But there are people who retire at 55. You know, I think uh, teachers can, can retire... 52, 53, depending on when they started teaching. So you can retire that early, but here's the scary thing. When you are anticipating with that early retirement that you could spend more years in your retirement that you, than you spent working, 
30 and 35 year retirement, it is quite conceivable that your cost of retirement could triple during your retirement years. Okay, you need to elaborate on that. It's inflation. When you're talking about a 3% inflation rate, then costs will triple every 36 years. (laughs) Okay, now... Yes, that's just basic math. It's just basic math. I understand that, but basic math is a a tough subject for me, Uh, (laughs) especially because of the basic concept it's not simple it's basic yeah. um explain to me and, and explain the listeners how that works so for example if my if my the inflation ratio here in canada is three yeah. percent are you saying to me that um, if i need five thousand dollars to live right now at a three percent inflation ratio over the next 30 years i'm gonna need fifteen thousand dollars to live correct <laughs> correct now, now that's not universal. You know, a lot of people will say, yeah, but when I get older, I'm going to slow down. Well, I haven't seen that in a lot of today's retirees. I mean, the old-fashioned concept of uh, grandma and grandpa spend their time sitting on the porch in a rocking oh, chair, no, just watching the neighbors go by. No, no, no. You know, I, and I can tell you through personal experience here, you know, my ex-mother-in-law, she, is, uh, she still goes skiing in France. <laughs> Yeah. with her friends and i think she's like 77 or something i don't you know uh, <laughs> mrs brown forgive me because i don't memorize your age but i think that she is in her late 70s right now and two three sometimes even four times a year she's skiing in bc she's skiing up north here in ontario she loves skiing and she's yeah. got a group of friends that they've been friends for 20 some years and they're they're her skiing buddies and it makes me so happy that can she can do this yeah but um if you think you're gonna slow down especially in this new generation growing up right now we're pretty active people i mean i am not my parents and i am certainly not my uncles and all the other people in my family i mean i'm i'm probably one of the most active generation in my entire family right now so i expect to be fully active in my 60s and 70s and if i can push this into the 80s although I don't know. I'm already tired. <laughs> well, and that's people will say that to me. Oh, but when, once I hit my 80s, and you know, I'm not going to be able to do. It. Well, my father turns 80 next month. Uh-huh. They still still spend a couple of months every year down south uh, to get away from the winters. Uh, they still like to do long day trips. You know, talking about driving out to the east coast. They're they're not sitting watching the time go by you know it's funny that you say this because you know tom hinton right he's right a, he's, a, he's a friend of ours so we have a mutual friend his father uh was a client of mine at 401 dixon nissan and i sold him a car then and then you know when i left nissan he wanted to stay with nissan so he came to see me a couple of weeks ago and uh, i believe he's 82 and uh, he bought himself a fully loaded 2020 maximum and he says you know what greg it's time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. If, I'm, if, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And you don't have the freedom to be able to call those type of shots at that age. You have to one day step back and say, yeah, you know. Absolutely. It's, I don't need it. I, I might never even be able to use it. But you know what? I can. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so your, your life in retirement, can you're going to still need a car at that age. You, you know, maybe you're not going to be traipsing all over the globe anymore but you know maybe you got used to going to france so it's just like going to the cottage to you so you're still going overseas maybe you're traveling a little bit less but you still want to travel you are still going to have those expenses and they're going to get more expensive as time goes on so you have to plan for your retirement income to increase 
I, I'm so happy that we touched on this conversation, Mike, this morning, because I, 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 I can tell you, again, through personal experiences, uh, until, un, until I started to talk to you and have you here on the show, these were things that I never really thought about. You know, inflation is something you hear in the news. Yeah, the inflation yep. rate. And something <laughs> happens to the other people. Yeah, I don't know. it's not me, man. I, I, don't, know. I don't, don't Don't worry about it. <laughs> things will just sort themselves out. Yep. But, you know, the, the number of people that don't pay attention to this sort of thing is frightening, especially if you really have worked your entire life and you haven't done or saved a single penny towards your retirement. I mean, you, you come across those people, no? No savings at all. Every now and then. They're not often anymore, but it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the initial panic, what do you advise them to do? I, I did have uh, a call from a listener back in the winter who was kind of in that scenario uh -huh. had not yet or had barely saved the equivalent of one year's salary and he was i don't know i can't remember if he was he was like 68 years old 69 he's like i want to stop working i'm like i get it it's time it's time can you so it the process is the same what does it cost you to live what pensions will be coming in what do you have saved and then I, in my little magic pot, stir all those numbers together and tell you whether or not you can do you it. can afford to pay the bills. And if you can't, again, has no impact on me. If mm -hmm. you can't do it, what do we have to adjust in your plan to make it happen? Folks, if retirement is any way in your future, you have to call Mike, 905-320-6762 or send him an email at moneymike.ca. Money Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you here on The Carrasco Show. we got to take a small break. 416-870-1050 is the phone number. You can call us. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, what's up, sports fans? Forrest Griffin here, and I want you to check out The Greg Carrasso Show only on TSN 1050 Toronto. Check check him out. Greg and the gang. Uh, yeah, enjoy. And we're back. You're listening to The Greg Carrasso Show here on TSN 1050 with Ken Stapham, the largest automotive radio show in Canada that is often not about cars. We, we're just trying to... You know, keep your company gliding through life and learning little things from here and there that could potentially make your life a little easier. So we, we still need to pay the bills. And uh, you have to remember that the, the best phone call of the day is going to get two years worth of oil changes courtesy of Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, home of the no commission salespeople. If you're paying commission on your car purchase, you are behind times, folks. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, Ken, over the last uh, few weeks is the fact that um, everybody is reverting back to old habits when it comes to car buying. <laughs> like, you know, for, for a few months there, we were doing everything online, man, everything online. And now bleh, people are just showing up, doing everything that they're supposed to. Folks, it's so much easier. You know, I, I did a conference um um, a couple of days ago for the Automotive News. Uh, it's a, it's, I think it's the largest automotive news magazine in Canada. It goes to all the dealers. And, uh, um, you know, that human touch that everybody talks about, I think the human touch is overrated. And I know that that's going to get a lot of people stirred up in relation to 
carbine. But uh, I do believe that the human touch is where the liability lies. Uh, do you have any comments on that, Ken? If you think that human touch is important, just ask Jeff Bezos how important that is. I mean, the guy's made a billion-dollar industry, a billion-dollar company based off the fact that you can do everything without that human content. contact. Well, you know, and, and the reality is this, folks, that right now you can literally find yourself a husband or a wife without ever having to date them. One makes you think that you cannot or you shouldn't do that with a car. The car industry is so far behind, but it's mostly not driven by dealers, believe it or not, because dealers are just trying to supply for the demand. The truth is this, folks. Look at this. Let's, let's get a couple of baselines here. Any new car that you buy is going to drive better than the old car. Would you agree with that, Ken? Yeah. Uh, obviously, a newer product. I mean, it's been well documented on this show. The competitive nature of all the really whatever brand you're looking at now is going to be putting out a good product. So it doesn't matter if it's a new Kia, a new Toyota, a new Honda. They're all going to drive well. And I would, yeah, if it's a newer car, then less parts have gone bad on it. So it'll drive better than the old stuff. Every car has been built with only one thing in mind to give you the best possible experience that you can get out of that machine. Uh, most cars cancel each other out. So just to give you an example, every car manufacturer will provide a vehicle for you that competes directly, almost identically to the next brand. So just to give you an idea, Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, Nissan Altima, Hyundai Sonata, they all cancel each other out. They're all looking for the same exact same customer. So whether you buy one or the other, a lot of it is, is based on subjectivity. It's on looks. And the, the truth is this, folks, that 100% of the time when you're driving the vehicle, you cannot see the color or the way the car looks from the outside. So when you start thinking about your car purchase objectively and you understand how many things you're getting caught up on that don't make any sense or they don't have any relevance, oh, you need to test drive the car. As if you're going to know the difference between seven or eight seconds on a zero to, you know, zero to 100. You couldn't possibly perceive it. You don't know. You think you do. Oh, this car sounds quieter. No, it doesn't. The human, <laughs> the human ear is not capable or discerning enough for you to determine whether one car is one or two decibels higher or lower than the other. So when you break this down to the level of absurd there is absolute no reason whatsoever why you should ever visit a car dealership and expect anything less than the best possible product that that manufacturer is giving you but people just are convinced that they need to go and touch and feel and i don't think it's necessary and i think the next generation the amazon <laughs> the amazon generation can that's the generation that is going to change everything when it comes to retail sales you know we have lou calling from oakville lou good more is it morning no good afternoon <laughs> <laughs> good morning good afternoon greg you got me thinking about the know, time of day you know why do you think lou that uh, people are so easy to go back to revert back to old habits well because you know i mean it, it's kind of like you know you've built up that muscle memory if you know what i mean and you know you go into these uh what i call automatics it's an automatic response. This is what I know. 
So, you know, when you're talking about cars, as you have been, and comparisons, you know, one of the things that I like about the used car market, Mm -hmm. number one, it gives you, uh, you know, value. You can hold on to your money or more of your money. And number two, if you look at the stats, you know, a two- or three-year-old car, you know, has really put its, uh, you know, its worst history behind it, if you know what I mean. Of course. I mean, the level of exposure that you have from a depreciation standpoint is the greatest in the first three years. So you essentially... You know, if I wish that people would, you know, take a visit inside my brain and understand why leasing is such a terrible thing to do. And I know company factors hate it when I say this on air because they're still trying to push you into into a lease. Think about this, folks. The heaviest years of depreciation for a car is three years, right? <laughs> what is the number one term that company factors want you to lease a vehicle for? three years. Why do you think that is? Well, they want you to absorb the highest depreciating years of the car so the car comes back into the network and guess what? You have a viable used car sale. And people keep on doing this, Lou, time and time and time again. And you know what the the actual number one reason why people tell me they want to do this? I like a new car. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And we've discussed it on your show, Greg, right? If you got to have a new car, there's just going to be less sushi, you know, less money for the sushi thing that you got or whatever else floats your boat. Wanted to say, Greg, um, uh, earlier in the show, you were giving out some great career advice uh-huh. on people thinking about a sales career. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, if anybody is thinking about sales, you've got the right approach to it, which is what? Farming, not hunting. I yeah. love that. You know, I, I got to tell you, Lou, the, the number of people that are convinced they're going to be good in sales because they are gregarious and they, they make a lot of friends with people and so on and so on, it's, it's maddening because I can tell you this. Most people that are that way, they forget to sell. <laughs> <laughs> they forget their job. <laughs> they just want to make friends, and they, everybody loves them. But guess what? Nobody ever buys a car from them. So, you know, the whole concept of friction, at some point, friction needs to start. And when you are too friendly, you never want to jeopardize that relationship that you have with those people that you meet at the dealership level. And you will find that people that are not as friendly, that are more pragmatic and serious in relation to what they're doing, and, and the customer recognize that they're there to do a job, they're far more likely to solidify a, a sale than people that are too friendly. I I see people that are too friendly coming and going all the time, and it's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. People that are too friendly should not be getting into sales. It's not a good idea. Yeah, I you know, and the other thing you were saying is, you know, the method, the process, the relentless uh, execution of a plan of attack for every day. And what do I mean by that? You're going to follow up with uh, people that you've uh, spoken to. You're going to follow up with people that you've sold to. And, you know, like at this point during the pandemic, right, the one thing you want to hear is, hey, you know what? You may want to make sure that car of yours isn't sitting for four months. Drive it around and make sure you burn some of that gas in that tank, right? 
Absolutely. And the, the, I can tell you this, that people that are willing, you see, planting seeds is not glamorous. You know, cutting the soil, just, you know, digging the trench, you know, bending, bending down, putting the seeds in each and every spot every single day, watering this every day, every day, every day. You see, you don't see what's going on in the underground. And I think that the most successful salespeople that I've known over the years are the ones that, I, that can visualize what's happening underneath, that they can attribute value to the the work that they put that is not generating or yielding any immediate results, but they're looking for the long game. And those men and women that can do this, uh, Lou, I can tell you, man, some of the most amazing salespeople that I have ever met, you would never guess that they are actual salespeople. They are fascinating to watch. They have a routine. They show up to work every morning and there is a plan. From this time to this time, I do this. From that time to that time, I do Y. Then I'll take a little break and then in the afternoon, I do this and this and this. And next thing you know, they do this every day. And I can tell you, you know, some people say, you know, strike when the iron is hot. I'd say it the other way, make the iron hot while you strike it. <laughs> and these people, they start with a cold piece of metal and they keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and never ending constant pressure on the desire to succeed. And those are the ones that make it, man. Because when, when, when the fruits start to grow, these are not little tiny plants. They're trees. And they're feeding off of these things for years and years and years and years. And unfortunately, not a lot of people think of that that way, Lou. Like What's with that? what you're doing, uh -huh. you know, people actually walk into the store, you know, saying, expressing, I'm looking for a car. They, right? People yeah. don't just come in for the coffee, do they? <laughs> no. You know, the interesting thing is that, you know, the number one reason why people are afraid of going <laughs> into a car dealership is because they're afraid that somebody's going to sell them a car. You know, think of the irony behind that. It's just insane. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, they they have a need. Like, you don't go into a dealership unless you have a need. And if you can identify what, as a salesperson what that need is, right? You're, well, you know, I mean, look at the how much you spend at your dealership to let people know, we're in the car business. Come on in. We'll take care of you. Well, that's the plan. And, and one of the things that people have you know, started to understand over the years of me being on the radio show is that because of, of what I do on the radio here, I'm a big target. So I, I, I have to keep everything that I do on point. So there is not a single thing at any one of the stores that I've ever run that would deviate from the outmost straight moral compass when it comes to buying and selling a car. Why? Because I'm exposed, man. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, anybody can call me on the show and call me right out. So, you know, my stores are quite possibly the safest, the absolute and positively one of the safest dealerships that you could ever go and buy a car from simply because of this radio show. You know, try to make people understand that, Lou. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, that's why you continue to do it after what, 14 years now, 15 yeah. years? I'm going into my 14 year. We are 13 years now. I'm going into my 14 year on the radio show, which has been fascinating. It's been a crazy, crazy ride. Okay. Before I let you go, yep. tell me about your dog. Because I saw on the internet that you've got this beautiful dog, your therapy dog. And so <laughs> tell me about him and why you, you took this one. Um, you know, I, I'll share this with you. And for those of you that listen to a TSN 1050, this is traditionally, um, you know, a sports channel. But uh, my commitment to TSN was to never talk sports. 
Uh, I'm not a sports person, so I'm going to talk about everything else. Uh, this dog, I, I decided uh, a little while ago that I need to get this, and um, I, I wanted to get a specific breed. I wanted a small dog, and I exhausted all my possibilities, Lou. I went to the Oakville Humane Society, the Cambridge Humane Society. I went to breeders, and you know, I, there was nothing. And, um, you know, I cringed by saying this, but I have to share it. I saw an ad on Kijiji. I called the lady. She didn't respond. Uh, I sent her a text saying, do you have any of those puppies left? And she said, I have this one. And uh, I, it was love of first photo. So He's very was, cute. Oh, dude, man. Cute doesn't even begin to describe the level of handsomeness this guy has brought into my, uh, I, 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 you know, I went from the unfriendly, ball-headed, tattooed guy from the corner house to the most popular guy in my entire neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And oh. how big is that dog going to get? Uh, I think that it's not going to be any taller than 10 inches, 10, 10 11 inches. And okay. uh, I think that the maximum weight is like five, six pounds. It's not a big dog, which is what I wanted. Uh, but, now, uh, it's a Yorkie, right? It's a Yorkie Maltese cross. So wow. they, uh, they don't have fur. They have hair. They're hypoallergenic. Uh, I took now, them to the vet. Huh? I told you last week that the Yorkie is one of the top... 10 smelliest dogs. <laughs> so I hope genetically it didn't get that with no, the mix-up with the did, uh, no, other he, breed. He got the good looks, man. He got the good looks from the Yorkie. <laughs> but I, I, took him to the, um, I, I took him to the vet yesterday, uh, although it was not needed, but I, I wanted to start a relationship here with the Oak Park uh, yes, uh, yes. hospital place. And uh, I, I came across uh, Dr. Emma, who is the vet at Oak Park uh, Hospital, and she was fantastic. Uh, I, I felt so at home. I felt so safe. And, you know, they clearly love animals. But, uh, you know, he was like in heaven. And I was super, super happy that I was recommended to this place. So, if folks, if you live in Oakville and you are looking for a place to look after your um, your animal uh, family member, go to Oak Park Animal Hospital. They are unbelievable. I'm dealing with Dr. Emma, and she is amazing. So, you know, yeah. good recommendations. This little guy is super, super, super healthy, and I'm super happy. I don't like where I bought it, but, you know, this dog was going to be sold to somebody uh, anyways, whether I bought him or not, and I figured, you know, I'm going to let it be me, and I'm going to give him the best life that I can possibly give him. So That's, that's great. That's, That's my what commitment. you should do. <laughs> Let me ask you this quickly because I don't want to take up all your time. I know you get no a problem. lot of calls, but uh, who's taking care of them while you're working? Well, you know, it's uh, you know, the the family is certainly stepping up on this, and uh, my kids oh, have, lo have loved them. And uh, but I mean, in in the future, I think that I'm probably going to have him in training school on Saturdays in the morning uh, mm -hmm. because three hours is a long time, especially for a puppy. And mm -hmm. uh, on that basis, I think that on Saturdays may be a good training day for him, and uh, we're working hard on that. But, uh, Lou, thank you so much once again for making the phone call, man. I always love talking to you on Saturday mornings, always bringing some common sense and perspective into the show. That's Lou's keys. Thank you, Lou. And uh, we'll Happy talk capitalism, soon. Greg. Th thanks, brother. You know, dogs always uh, get a lot of attention, uh, Ken. It's, uh, <laughs> it's amazing. We all have a dog story. <laughs> yeah, Lou's been following this journey the whole way with us, really, since Thank one of you, our Lou. first episodes where we announced that you were going to be looking for a dog. Lou's been there the whole way. And luckily for you, that your dog didn't get the stinky gene that Lou keeps bringing up. I don't know why. He keeps bringing up that point that the Yorkie Poos are so smelly, man. And it's like, I, I don't know. My sister has one, and it's fine. It's a great dog. 
that's uh i all i hope is that uh you know he lives a long life and he's healthy and uh and hopefully i can make him happy yeah but, at uh, the end of the day that's the most important and he does have a loving home and that's the biggest thing because they bring so much you can give so much to them but they bring so much love into your household uh absolutely i i think that you know that uh that bond thing starts very early on and it has a funny effect on on your feelings when that uh i'm in my f- in my feelings often when when i'm when i'm dealing with this dog what's happening to me you know i feel like you're going uh, soft jack, on us greg I, I feel like jack uh, jack nicholson on uh as good as it gets you know at the end of the movie he says about a dog <laughs> a stupid dog he says in the movie i can relate to that so aggressively you know i am one of those people that have found a way to streamline my life in a way that people would never understand. Let me just give you an idea, Ken. I have like 20 white shirts, 20 black shirts, 20 pairs of brown shoes. I have the same jeans, like five, six, seven of them. So I never have to think about anything other than my day and I can fill up my hard drive with important things, with ideas, with marketing, with, you know, with content for the radio show. So everything in my life, I eat the exact same thing at the exact same time every single day for the last five, six, seven years. That's a lot of structure. Um, dude, I, I couldn't possibly explain to you how much of a departure having a little guy has had in my, is, is, is having a little guy in my life. So right now, all my routines, all the things that I held so dear, all that, you know, it, it, all that solitude that I have protected for so long, it's like has gone completely out the window. You know, traditionally I go to bed 8, 8.30, I go to bed really, really early because I get up early. Now, last night he wakes up at 8, 11.45, he doesn't go to bed until 2.30, he sleeps for an hour, he wakes up at 3.30 and you know, guess what? I'm there, man. So all everything that I thought was my life has been completely tossed out the window. And um, the reality is that <sighs> I think I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it's a big change. I, I mean, you have a new young being in the house and they, you're on their schedule. It's not the other way around. That was certainly a big change for me. Luckily, my puppy likes to go to sleep early as well. I generally try to shut it down around 1030 so that I can get up nice and early in the morning. Uh-huh. And she's she's been great. Like she's willing to just go to sleep as soon as I'm willing to go to sleep. She gets up at whatever point in the morning. And it's just been absolutely awesome about that. Sleeps through the whole night most of the time. So been very blessed in that regard as well. That's amazing. Uh, why don't we take a little break? And, um, you know, I need to have a sip of water here. We've been talking about this for a little while. The phone lines are open, 416-870-1050. Uh, you are calling the Greg Carrasco Show on TSN 1050 with Ken Stapen here. And um, we'll be right back. Sports in the top 10. I can put the ball in the end zone, put a bad bitch in the friend zone. This sound like an intro, Jess on, give me that tempo. Told pool, he'll fool with the shit. Told her, don't let her friends know. Mike Robitaille here, and I'm just your basic, mediocre, former NHL player. And speaking of mediocre, here he is, the Greg Carrasco Show. 
of that song for my dog you cross him you cross me maybe you could figure out a version of that song we'll tweak the tweak the carrasco rap on the entrance we can uh, come come into the open up the hour uh, i don't know about that the, you know the carrasco rap is uh is, is grown legs man it was a it was an idea of my buddy um, you know kurt Deadbarn, who is a slacker number two he's up at the cottage right now i haven't seen him in months you know, all the work that he does, he can do it from his computer. So, you know, his office is wherever he is at. It's a good time to have, be able to move around and do that. But that's for oh, sure. Dude, man, dude, dude, dude. And, uh, you know, the uh, that guy, Mike Robitaille, that, uh, you know, we have in the intro, uh, is his father-in-law. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Mike Robitaille. Yeah, yeah I know. He's, he's the guy that does the promos coming in and out of the show. Small yeah. world, man. It's weird how he's those a- things line up. It it is a very small world, but uh, the uh, this this morning we we have gone all over the place with you know with advice, with suggestions, with ideas, with thoughts. You know, talking dogs, careers, retirement, GICs, inflation, and uh, you you may not even see or perceive how much we are infiltrating your life. Um, every every Saturday we spend three hours here just you know talking talking about things. Talking about things that, you know, maybe going in Ken's life, things that maybe going in my life. And um, all I can tell you is, is that you're, you're not alone. I don't have the answers for everything. Um, you know, once I came to that realization, it became such an easier way to approach my life. So when I made a mistake, it was like, ah, okay, I didn't know better. Now I know. So what we try to do here is that we just try to take you along the ride. Um and uh, if it all if it all comes from from a good place, if it comes from a you know a, a place of good intentions, then whatever decisions are made, whatever topics are discussed here, they always go with 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 the pretext, with the intention of you know benefiting you, the listener, in in any way that we can. Um, so when I talked about careers this morning, and by the way, if you if you've missed this show and you want to listen to it on your own time, which it's many many of you that listens to the podcast, um, soon after the uh, the radio show ends, we upload this on TSN ten fifty as a podcast, and after that, uh, just give it a few hours. My um, uh, my boy Trevor there, he will upload this into iTunes, uh, and you only have to look for the Greg Carrasco show. Um, unfortunately, the the previous content of the last thirteen years, um, we are fighting to get it back. Um, you know, they uh, they don't want to release it, and uh, it's you know it's it's, it's going to be ugly. But anyways, we're we're going to try to get it back for you, so you can listen to previous shows. Um, but either way, 
um, you can listen to the show on your own time or you can just follow me on social media on Instagram is at Greg Carrasco we're constantly putting we try to keep it entertaining there sometimes we do have to uh, you know talk about business and uh, especially when I am the head of Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity home of the no commission salespeople um, we have to you know promote the business at the end of it all somebody has to pay the bills and um, like I said to lose keys on the other side of you know before the break the fact that this radio show exists is the biggest testament that you could have that what I do will translate into my operations. Uh, you guys have been listening to the show for years and years and years, and you know that when you come and see me, there is an open door policy at my store. Um, you know, this is a test that you can do at any one of the stores if you're looking at buying a vehicle. Walk in and ask to speak to the vice president or the general manager and see what they tell you. The answer to that is an unequivocal absolutely not. And it's not because I don't have better things to do. Trust me, I always have better things to do. But I can tell you this, the most important person at any one of my stores is you. <laughs> Without you, we have nothing. Without you, there is no retail sales, there is no service, there is no parts, there is nothing. So if the highest person in the organization doesn't have the time to give the most important person on that organization, and then that should tell you something. You know, it is amazing to me how many general managers don't even work on Saturdays. How many general managers never go out and meet the customers when they're there? How many general managers have, haven't sold a car in years? You know, this is something that I say all the time, and you know, it's not a very popular idea, Ken. Yeah. When you walk into a car dealership and you ask a salesperson, who is the best salesperson in the entire organization? If the name of the general manager doesn't roll out of the tongue of the person that you're asking, you are working for the wrong organization because these people don't get out of their office. I mean, you cannot run a retail organization if you don't know how to do retail yourself. Do you think that that is, a, is an accurate statement there? Well, I think that's very important, especially if you're going to be leading a team of salespeople. You would assume whoever you're putting at the helm is an excellent salesperson themselves because how else are you going to steer and train the people under you to be successful in that role? Now, a question for you based on the automotive industry is yeah. a management position something that's usually promoted from within? Like you find a salesperson who's excelling, who's good with the people, good with you know, their coworkers, understands, leads by example, that sort of thing? Or oftentimes is it somebody that you bring in who has the prerequisite c credentials versus, but perhaps less experience in the automotive I, industry? Um, now, I'm a little bit of an anomaly there, Ken, because I will not bring managers from the outside. I won't. So it's you all cannot, organic growth. Uh, for, uh, for me, if you don't understand what I think, how I think, why I think it, you will never be able to fit in. I'm not interested in following your agenda. You see, I'm, I'm the head of the organization. I, I was hired to steer the ship. So if you don't know where the ship is going, how would you be able to you know, get direction? So what I have made it a point uh, for, for my organizations is that anyone that holds any management position has grown through the ranks so they understand the pains and suffering of the lower ranks and uh, many organizations make the mistake of bringing i mean i'm talking just 
you know, lower to middle management. I'm, I'm not talking in the senior positions. Uh, in lower to middle management, it's a common mistake. You you go out there looking for a silver bullet. You go out there looking for a a you know a rock star. You go out there for somebody that is going to make all your problems go away. So these people come with a set of ideas, and when you inject that people with a different set of ideas that you had thought, then you have chaos. And the company just falls completely apart. And, and, and that's something that happens all the time. Whenever you have and you hired a manager from the outside, then the entire company needs to be retrained to understand the methodology of this new person if they have a methodology at all. So it creates too much conflict. Uh, whereas I, I believe that the way that we do it at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, and, and this is part of my, my, my retail culture, when somebody does everything right and they become a source of information, it becomes a source of confidence, they become a source of, uh, I would say, wisdom on the sales floor or any other department because I promote in all the departments from within. Then the transition is far more organic, Ken. Uh, it, 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 there is never really an adjustment process. There is not even a learning curve because they already know. They knew what the process was before, so they had to do it. Now, when they go into management, they already know the process. They just, they just need to enforce it. So you go from one side from executing to enforcing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's a, it makes it's a, a lot, lot of sense to me. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense to me, and, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, it's not a very common thing that happens in our industry. Uh, traditionally, our dealerships are starved for good managers that fail, but they don't fail because they're bad managers. They fail because the dealership had terrible hiring practices. And, uh, the, you know, again, you are setting up the managers to fail every single time. If you make them do the exact same thing that the guy that got fired for doing that job was told to do in the first place. Does that make sense? In relation to the restaurant industry, this makes a lot of sense because this is an industry that I've personally worked in for the last 15 years. The people who make the best managers are people who are excellent servers. The people yes. who are excellent servers are people who have done every other position before. They've been a busser. They've been a host. They've been a food runner, so they understand the menu. They've been maybe a bar back, so they understand everything that's going on behind the bar. And you inherit a prerequisite set of skills from each of those positions that helps you understand how to do your position better. So when you become a server, you can understand how to manage and you know bus all your tables in an efficient way. You understand everything that's on the menu from your experience working with the kitchen, and you understand everything that the bar is offering about wine, drinks, cocktails, beers from your time working behind the bar. And then mm -hmm. when you make that transition to management from serving, you know the plight of everybody that's working on the floor with you in any given point in time. You know the stresses, you know the multitasking, and you understand how to support the people around you in a calm and composed manner because you've been there in the trenches with them. So it makes sense that that would be also the way that you would promote through the car industry in particular, because I would assume as well, like you said, if you're bringing somebody in from an outside dealership, you don't know what mm -hmm. kind of a ship they were running there. It could have been just a complete disaster, completely different ideologies, completely different philosophies. It could just be rotten to the core. So even though they might have more experience and they were in management there, they might not fit into the culture that you have established in your own business. You know, the interesting thing is that uh, one of the biggest culprits of this, uh, believe it or not, are dealer principals and owners. Uh, they feel that they need to give their children a special treatment. So they never allow the kids to grow within the organizations. Uh, you know, they go from just being 
out of the car business into a management position simply because they're related to the owner. And in the process, they they develop and they grow a crazy amount of resentment by the entire staff and they will never be able to regain the, the confidence. They will not have the respect of the people. You see, if you... If you are the owner of a car dealership and you have someone that you that you see, uh, you know, as part of the, your succession plan, and uh, you don't get them to wash cars, <laughs> like your first job, you need to be cleaning cars. Your second job, you need to be a shuttle driver, and so on. And then you work your way up through the ranks, and you understand everybody that works within your organization, and then you you understand the humility of the owners, the humility from the management, the upper management, humility from these people that are going to run the operation. It's the number one thing that that'll teach you. Unfortunately, you have many, too many owners, car dealership owners that are, their kids are too good. And in the process, you wreck them because they don't have any respect for the business. They achieve success for no reason of their own. They achieve success because you gave it to them, not because they accomplished it. And I'm not romanticizing the struggle but i can tell you there is no appreciation without struggle that i know and uh in 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 an attempt for you to do something good for your kids you are actually wrecking your own organization and that's why they say that nepotism is 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 the is the the death of entrepreneurial spirit because it you know it, it skips a generation and in an attempt for us to do something good for our kids, we are actually taking them away from the chances of succeeding, especially if the organization doesn't recognize them as natural leaders. And uh, at the same time, a lot of these kids, they go into the car business against their own wishes. They don't like the uh, they don't like the industry. They don't like uh, what the industry stands for, and uh, you, they never they were never given an opportunity. They were just told you this is going to be your business and you're going to run it, and you're going to be a sales manager whether you know how to sell a car or not. You see, you cannot run a sales organization if you have never sold a car. I am sorry, that's not the way it works. You cannot run a sales organization, I'm going to repeat, if you have never sold a car, if you have the general manager or the dealer principal not able to tell you what the new sales process is, how can you possibly enforce this when the time comes? So there was a lot of things that, that we do a little bit different in Oakville. And, and, and I, I, have a, I have a team of people, I have a crew that comes with me no matter where I go. And the reason why that's happened is that, you know, a team is not a a group of people that work together. It's a group of people that trust each other. You, we've all heard that quote before. And uh, when I am able to remove myself from the operation, and every day I try to do that a little more so the people beneath me are more and more comfortable taking over the company, and I'm in a constant state of training for somebody to take my job, that's my goal. The only proof of a successful general manager, if if he is able to put his own insecurities and egos aside and train somebody to take his job, that's the only time that he has actually graduated into in, in, into the Yoda level. Do you know what I'm saying, Ken? <laughs> Yoda level is pretty high praise. And obviously, if you're going to try to get into that echelon of management where you are just completely selfless and you're trying to create the best team, you have to have a fair amount of humility to understand that they, this person isn't necessarily coming to take your job, but you're just giving them the requisite skills to be successful. And I think that's a very selfless thing to do. I think that oftentimes people in a position of management are always concerned 
and looking in the rearview mirror at who's coming because they're insecure about their place in the organization. And that's where this ultimately stems from is a place of insecurity. And that's actually a hindrance to the organization as a whole. If the person who's in command is constantly worried about what's going on behind them, they aren't going to be able to run the organization to its maximum potential. And that can be a really big problem, particularly when it comes to making sure that your staff has the requisite skills to be successful in their position if you're not giving them the ability to hone in on those skills and sharpen and add things to their toolbox because you're worried about what's going to happen to you personally. You know, I think that this is this is a lot more common uh, as as a problem in organizations than people may think. Um, the the vast majority of managers, especially in the mid upper middle to upper management, are so terrified of them to lose their position to a junior person that they do whatever they can to identify potential challengers and to squash. To weed desires. them out. Yeah, to weed them out. We've they all worked ways. for managers like that. Dude, man, it's such a terrible thing for the organization because in the process, you are literally crippling the organization by satisfying your own insecurities. You see, you got to remember this, Ken, that in order for you to to try to train somebody to take your job, not only you need to be humble to understand that you need at some point you were hired to do a job and the job is to guarantee the future and current financial success of the organization that you're leading. Okay, that's your job. Okay. Once you accept that that is your job, part of that job is to do this. What happens if something happens to me? You know, who's going to run the organization? And if you are not in a constant quest to find someone that could take your job, number one, you are hurting the organization fundamentally. You know, let's, I, I want to elaborate on this point because it's very important. I, I think that this applies to so many different industries. And uh, I, I trust that there are many people listening to this right now and thinking, what is Greg talking about? It's important. Folks, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show here with uh, Ken Stapon on TSN 1050. If you have anything to say today, call us at 416-870-1050. Or if you're calling from out of town, it's 1-855-591-6876. We'll be right back. Cosa de familia no la tiene que escuchar Lo que poco, lo que poco y yo soy la mamá Los secretos solo con quien puedas confiar Más, más te vale no romper la muerta Hay niveles para todo en esta vía No jodemos con personas desconocidas Ni un amigo nuevo ni una haría Ni un amigo nuevo ni una haría Somebody's on point there. Let it roll. Let's see what this is. <laughs> Look at you guys. Our boy Ben firing it up on the tunes right now. I know. I know. Hey, this is a good energy, good vibe. End of the show here, heading into a Saturday afternoon evening. I don't know if the weather's still nice. It was beautiful this morning on my way into the studio. That's one thing about coming here to the TSN 1050 produ production room is that there's no natural light, Greg. They do TV broadcasts here, so you can be in here for a couple hours and have no idea what's going on what's outside. Going on outside? Yeah, yeah, it no, could it could be bright and sunny. It could be rainy. Like, I've missed whole thunderstorms and gone out and everything's <laughs> wet, but it's sunny again. Everybody's like, oh, it was terrible. And I just it's had no idea because I was in the studio. 
It is interesting when I was uh, when I had my TV show and I, I had a TV show for a few years and uh, um, when when I moved on from the previous network I just canceled everything uh, it was and rightfully so uh, we would be in the studio for hours and hours and hours at the time and uh, you couldn't see anything you you literally came out of a different it's like a different you have time zone no idea what time it is if there no, no idea just just hours could pass and next thing you know you walk out it's you know, one in the morning and it's completely dark and you're like man. What time is it? Yeah, the other thing that happens to me is that you you get uh, uh, desensitized to sounds. Um, you know, if you go into a sound-proof uh, room uh, like the studios are, uh, you don't hear anything. There are no echoes. There's nothing, and you understand how clear the sound can be sometimes, and how much noise pollution is out there. And then you you get annoyed when you walk out and all this noise, the air, the cars, the tires, the horns, the sirens, it's just so much noise. And um, once you really hone in on to the sound or something and, and without any sort of additional pollution on it, it's, it just sounds beautiful. But uh, anyways, you know, let's, um, I, I really enjoyed the last little bit of our conversation, Ken. Um, and, and the reason why I enjoyed it is because, you know, often we don't, we don't tap into the, the philosophy of leadership. We don't tap into the philosophy of uh, corporate um, uh, structures. And uh, I know that this is those are big things that, that we're talking about this morning, especially when it comes to the uh, the conversation that we had on careers. But uh, un unfortunately, and um, this is something that happens often, um, people want to move up to work less. And, and it's really not the way it works. And uh, if you are a dealer principal right now and you own a dealership and you have a general manager in charge, uh, I would strongly suggest that you ask the following question. And look, you've made it, man. You, you, know, you own the dealership. You do what you want. Uh, you know, who am I to tell you? Uh, what to do or what to say to anybody that works for you, uh, and and simply I I, I take this I, I'm I'm bringing this from a very humble spot. Um, ask your general manager, you know who are you training to take your job, and if there is not a clear name that comes out there, you may have the wrong person running your organization. Um, and the reason why I tell you this is because I have seen this time and time and time again over the years that, uh, look, when, when I started selling cars, Ken, um, it took me almost 10 years for somebody to give me an opportunity for me to, to be a sales manager. 10 years. And I, ha I literally had to move. I had to go to another dealership for somebody to consider me because when I was selling lots of cars and I was a very successful salesperson, uh, I felt that I had a foot on my head, uh, you know, limiting my my professional development simply because they didn't want me to stop doing what I was doing. That's a classic thing that happens, I think, in a lot to a lot of people in their careers. They get good in one position and then they sort of get pigeonholed into staying there because rather than moving you up into another position and then having to find somebody who's going to be as successful as you're being in your particular field... They would rather just keep you where you are and try to fill the other spot instead with somebody else. So I feel you like that's what? a very common thing, not it just a, uh, not just in the car industry. It's a very common thing, but you know what I did? I mean, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I figured, you know, how about this? I want to start training salespeople. I was a sales guy, and I started to train salespeople, and I trained a bunch of other salespeople with me. So I created a really strong sales floor, and the word came out. The word came around, and somebody called me back and said, you know what, Greg? come just run my floor and but that took 10 years ken and for those 10 years I could have been doing, 
Oh yeah, it takes patience, but also, uh, you know, uh, you know, perhaps you don't you don't create life; life creates you. So you know, everybody is unhappy with the journey, but nobody is unhappy with the product. It's something that happens to all of us. So I, I'm not complaining. I'm just sharing what happens here. But if you are a dealer principal and you ask your general manager, who are you training to take your job? And there is not a clear name that you can identify because of all the attributes. And the number one in this one here is loyalty. Um, loyalty, um, I would say honesty and, um, uh, and temperament. If you are moving up into upper management, you have to be honest. You have to be transparent, you have to be loyal, and you have to have good temper. Those are things that are crucial. You know, you are the person that is going to keep your stuff together when everything falls apart. <laughs> you're going to have to lead the organization. So if you cannot keep your temperament in check, you're not going to move up. Um, that was that was an interesting show today, uh, Ken. We, 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 we talked a lot. And uh, I, I certainly hope that the folks that are listening to this show saw the value in what we were discussing today. And if you want to listen to any sections of the show uh, after we finish today, you can find us on TSN 1050 uh, or tsn.ca. The podcast is there. Or you can always find my podcast at gregcarrasco.com or Apple iTunes because the, uh, the, the podcast gets uploaded without any commercials there soon after the show ends. Um, but to finish off the thought today, uh, you need to remember this. We, um, I work. You know, this is, you know, my uh, my radio show is my life's work. But my job, my job is that I run two car dealerships right now, Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. I'm the vice president of operations there. And I, I hold very dearly the concept that I have an open door policy. If you're a customer and you want to deal with the head of the organization, guess what? I'm there for you. I can guarantee you that it's not something that's available to anyone out in the city or not very many. Hopefully more people start to do the same, but you deserve that much. Uh, Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, we have no commission salespeople. And for the month of August, we're having a crazy, crazy demo sale. And I know that Nissan Canada is having a flash sale uh, from the 18th until the 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. You can get up to $1,000 off on this extra sale. And come and see me at Oakville Infinity and Oakville Nissan. There's something happening there at OakvilleNissan.com. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. Closing time.